Take your Bibles open to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. Beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verses through verse 13 this morning. Let's listen and be attentive to the Word of God. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. Not lovers of the good. Treacherous. Rash. Conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, suffering. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. May God bless our understanding of reading of this His holy word. Writing from a jail cell, knowing that it is coming close to the end of his life and wanting to encourage a young pastor named Timothy, Paul writes some of his final words. And he doesn't tell Timothy how great it's going to be and how great it is to be a Christian leader and a pastor. And he doesn't say that church life is going to be easy and he doesn't say there's a glorious revival ahead or that the road is going to be smooth. Paul wants Timothy to mark and know this, that terrible times are going to characterize the last days. There will be distressing times, hard times, difficult times. Why? Because people will live and exhibit all kinds of behaviors that will make the times hard. And Paul lists 18, maybe 19 things, depending on how you want to read it. Different things that characterize, will characterize the distress of the last days. By the way, when Paul speaks of the last days, he means his times, but he also means our times. Because the last days began with the coming of Jesus Christ. That's the way the New Testament gives us to it. 
gives it to us, that we have been living in the last days since the coming of Christ, and we are in them even now. But Paul doesn't talk about world events. He doesn't do any predictions. He speaks of the way that people will choose to live. And it reads almost more like a sociological commentary than it does of a last day's checklist. And the number one mark that Paul puts on this list of distressing times is people being lovers of themselves. Paul says people will become utterly self-centered and self-absorbed. We call this narcissism. Jean Twenge is a psychology professor at San Diego State University, and she's co-authored a book with another person called The Narcissism Epidemic, Living in the Age of Entitlement. And on a blog post on psychology today, not too long ago, she notes uh, in a study she did how narcissistic tendencies are are increasing faster than in previous years. There is something now called the Narcissistic Personality Indicator, the NPI. Um, I'm scared to take this myself, but it measures people's narcissism. The National Institute of Health now has something called the the Narcissistic Personality Disorder. Twinge notes that there are big changes in people's behavior in the past several years revealing the growth in self-absorption. For example... Plastic surgery and procedures like that are up by a factor of six in just the past ten years. Materialistic attitudes have increased and people are now willing to go into debt to afford the best right now. Gossip magazines and celebrity magazines are becoming more popular while other magazines and newspapers are failing. And she gives her favorite example of the current narcissistic climate in which we live. It is now possible to hire fake paparazzi to follow you around when you go out at night so you can pretend you are famous. Last week in a column in the New York Times called The Online Looking Glass, Russ Duthat, a columnist, For the Times noted how Facebook and other social media can feed our love of ourselves. Now, social networking isn't the cause of our current narcissism, but it certainly acts as a hall of mirrors where we can post portraits of ourselves and our deep craving for people to look at us in our lust and in our desire for human attention. I don't know exactly what Paul had in mind about people being lovers of themselves, but could he top the self-absorption of our day. While being lovers of self is at the top of the list, the last thing on the list is being lovers of God. Loving ourselves at the top. Loving God at the bottom. Paul says that in the last days, the love of God will be the least concern of people. And whenever the love of God is last, whenever love for money or love for our comfort or reputation or love for our image or love for pleasure supersedes God, then things like pride and abuse and unforgiveness and slander and and conceit are going to come. You notice how many times the term love comes up in these few verses? 
Six different words or phrases have a form of love in them. After being lovers of self, there's lovers of money. In verse 3, it reads that people will be without love. And that term refers to uh, people who are related naturally, family. Paul is saying parents won't even love their children anymore. We see that in our days, even today, don't we? Uh, Then there are those who are not lovers of the good, those who love pleasure more than God. Love is throughout this list. Uh, But with apologies to the Beatles and anybody else who might have an idea that love is all you need, love is not all you need, apparently. It's who you love and what you love and how you love that. That is what is important. Now, in both the Old and the New Testaments, we read, God's order for love is this. God first. Other people second. And then we come third. God, our neighbors, others, and then ourselves. And when that order is reversed, problems come in our world, in our families, in our society, in ourselves. Jesus said a day would come when people's love would grow cold. Is people's love growing colder today? Well, if love of self is first and the love of God is last, then it's easy to love the wrong thing in the wrong way. And when I love anything or anyone more than God, my priorities, my values, my relationships, all my attitudes become misaligned. Moses said to Israel, do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And he said the people were to do that by keeping the Lord's commands right before their eyes, putting them in their hearts, talking about them continually, and putting them where they could always see them. And Jesus affirmed that is the first and the greatest commandment right there. We want God to love us fully. We want God to love us without exception, don't we? Love me, God. Love me. Love me. Love me. But are we willing to give God the love that he desires from us. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want just our respect. He just doesn't want us to be nice. He doesn't want us to refrain from harming anybody. He wants our love. He wants us to be lovers of God more than anything else. And if we don't search for him in personal relationship, if we don't stay with him for long periods of time to know him, if we don't seek him through through understanding and through our Bibles, if we don't take the time to learn His voice in prayer, we will begin to displace Him. And other things and other people will come way before God. We'll begin to forget Him. Eventually, we won't even recognize Him when He's right in front of us. Think of a a man phoning his fiancée to tell her that once again, he can't come to her place for dinner that night because he has so much work. Now, once in a while, that call can be made, but now this is the 200th time. He's not seen her in weeks. Can you say that he loves her? So if we will not spend time with God or spend time seeking him, do we really love him? This is the cutting edge between purely being religious and being godly. It's the difference between having the look and the language, but not really having the heart of faith. What Paul calls those who have the form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. We have religion, but we have no relationship. And it becomes all about appearances. We look religious, but we don't 
really believe that it actually matters. Love God first and foremost, and all our values and all our priorities are going to fall into place. Then there's this part about these self um, these self-centered teachers who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women. Did you get that? What is this about? What a picture. I'm not sure who these weak-willed women are, but they are not the women I live with in my house. I know that. They're not living with me. Apparently, there were people, the kind whose teachings spread like gangrene, who were going door to door, finding uh, these women and, and luring them into wrong beliefs. I don't know why Paul picks on women here. Were there no weak-willed men who uh, were also always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth? There are things in our Bible sometimes that we just, we we can't pin down with clarity. Uh, The the facts and the details and the background are lost to us, and this is probably one of those cases. It's probably God saying, just isn't important enough for you to know. But Paul is hot and bothered about these door-to-door religious hucksters that are uh, messing with people, especially, apparently, women. What is a poor guy like Timothy to do? There he is, stuck in Ephesus, trying to lead this church, and people are all over the map with their faith and their religion. And maybe some of the people are starting to fall for these other gospels, these imposters who look good, but boy, they hold nothing of the truth of Jesus. How is he to keep the faith amidst such pressures? Paul points Timothy to his own life. What he's taught, his way of life, his purpose, his faith, his patience, his love, his endurance, and the persecutions that he has had to suffer. Paul reminds Timothy what happened to him. What happened to Paul back in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And we go back to Acts chapter 13 and 14 and we find out that Paul was thrown out of the city of Antioch. And then he just narrowly escaped when he found out about a plot to brutalize him and stone him in Iconium. And then they finally caught him in Lystra and they did stone him and they dragged him outside the city and they left him for dead. And Paul, uh, Timothy probably witnessed every one of these things because we know that Timothy was known by the Christians in Iconium and Lystra. Paul says, you know, Timothy, Everyone who wants to live a godly life for Christ Jesus is going to be persecuted. Jesus said, if the world hates you, this is what he said to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And our Lord said, in this world, you'll have trouble. But he also said, take courage. Because I've overcome the world. A serious, faithful life of following Christ is not a safe life. It is something that takes courage because it often rubs against the values of this current world. And I am convinced, and I have said this before, and that those who want to truly follow Jesus and be Christians in this nation in the next five, in the next ten, in the next twenty years are going to have to be very comfortable living in the minority. 
Timothy has seen up close and firsthand the dangers of witnessing for Christ in the first century. And he's seen the costs and he's learned about the forces that go up against the gospel. And Paul doesn't offer him an escape. And he doesn't offer him therapy. And he doesn't try to make him feel better. And he says, Timothy, look at me. Look at what I have been through. He's not bragging. He's contrasting himself with those who he calls are imposters who are accommodating their message to others. And it's why he wrote back in chapter 2. He said, endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I think we waste a lot of time and energy trying to feel better in our struggles as Christians. Instead of understanding the true terrain and the nature of Christian living in a world that is not going to honor him and that does not honor him. And we easily lose the attitude of the fighting soldier and the competing athlete and that hardworking farmer and somehow think, well, walking with Jesus is going to be easy. Listen to A.W. Tozer, the late preacher. He said, Christ calls people to carry a cross. We call them to have fun in his name. He calls them to forsake the world. We assure them that if they but accept Jesus, the world is their oyster. He calls them to suffer. We call them to enjoy all the bourgeois comforts modern civilization affords. He calls them to holiness. We call them to a cheap and tawdry happiness. We can afford to suffer now. We'll have a long eternity to enjoy ourselves. And our enjoyment will be valid and pure, for it will come in the right way and in the right time. Sometimes I get a little low. Sometimes I mope. Sometimes I start to whine and complain, start to pity myself. And I say, why does it have to be so hard? And then it's like, it's like I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to me. Well, what do you think this was going to be when you signed up for it? It's like I hear this whisper. What do you think following Jesus is all about? To make you happier? To make you better looking? To make you cooler? Paul's an example for the young Timothy of what it means to go through it and endure for Christ. And I think that's what we need in our walks with Christ. We need examples of people who have been through it. We need examples of people who have faith and who have courage and who have strength. We need examples of people who can say, you know all about my life. Not people who are going to sugarcoat it for us, but who will say, you know, it isn't easy. And I went through it and I'm going through it and you can endure too. And I give myself to you as an example and as in hopes that it'll be a strength to you. So you keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep the faith. I think Betty did that for us this morning. Do you have someone who's a mentor, who's a spiritual director, who's a coach? I don't know, call it what you want. Whose life you can say, I can feed off that. Their faith, their patience, what they've gone through. Can you do that with your life for someone? Can you, can, can you give your life to someone and say, look at my faith, look at my patience, look at the way I've lived. 
Paul never says it'll get easier for Timothy. No, he says there will be growing times of distress. There will be terrible times. There will be imposters of the faith who will come. But he says, love God, endure, and keep the faith. I recently finished Eric Metaxas's um, biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor during World War II. It's called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. If you like World War II history, you'll love this book. If you like uh, even light, just light theology, you'll love this book. If you just like to read about people and inspiring lives, I highly recommend the book to you. It's excellent. Talk about living in terrible, hard, difficult times. To read about Bonhoeffer's insistence on good preaching and good theology and faithfulness to Christ in a time that was so progressive and watered down in their preaching and theology. To hear about his courage in the face of the larger German church that really believed Hitler was a good hope for Germany. To learn about his strength, willing to stand alone. To read about the way he conducted himself while he was in the Nazi labor and prison camp before he was killed. You know, that did more for me than the latest book from the hottest megachurch pastor who seems to be going from success to success. You know, just add water and your church will do this. We need examples of lives that don't always have it easy, but that loved God through hardship and difficulty and persevered. Because as we get serious, and if we get serious about following Jesus, that is what we are going to have to do. So love God with all your heart. And find examples worth following to help you in being faithful to Christ. Let's pray.